The Athletic. Football League show. Philip takes one in the zinc and angles. Wigan's season looks anything but a dead duck. The Huddersfield Renaissance is Corberon and fight, fight, fight at Shrewsbury. In loving memory of Keith the Duck, this is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. No such thing as a bank holiday in this game, so we're back once more. I'm Matt Davis Adams, joined by Super Sam Parkin. Hello, Matt. Robin Reliant Cowan's also with us. <laughs> Hi, Matt. I'm ready for a first run out of the season. It's rocking Ross Embleton. Hi, Ross. Hello, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Uh, we're all present and correct then. Let's head to the championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines. As usual, it finished Derby 1, Forest 1 in the Brian Clough Trophy slash footballing equivalent of two bald men fighting over a comb. West Brom left it late to beat Posh and keep pace with Fulham who ease past Stoke. Blackpool and Sheffield United join Forest in being winless after five games. And in transfer news, it looks like Troy Deeney could be on the move to his boyhood club, Birmingham. Sheffield United are trying to tie up a loan deal for Villa midfielder Connor Hurahan. And Andre Gray is set to join QPR on a season loan. Uh, we'll start with the East Midlands derby, all square in the derby involving Derby at Pride Park as the Rams and the Reds shared their customary one-all draw. That's four times in a row now that it's finished that way. Tom Lawrence had Derby ahead, but Brennan Johnson picked the right time to score his first Reds goal. Dad David was watching on from the away end as his son managed something he never did in a Forest shirt. Uh, Robin, Wayne Rooney was bemoaning the refereeing after this. Derby could maybe should have had a couple of penalties, but then one of his players should have been sent off before that. So these things even themselves out over the course of a game sometimes. Absolutely. No, I, I was going to say, I'm not sure he's got too much to complain about. The, the Zinconagles are probably still very, very sore, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a really, that was really horrible to watch, wasn't it? I mean, it possibly probably was a, you know, they should have had a penalty, yes, Um but uh, I think he, he he kind of graciously said afterwards that probably a, a fair result in the end. Forrest came back pretty well. Um, but generally, I think um, I've been really impressed with Wayne Rooney because there, there was a time over the summer, especially with his extracurricular activities, where he thought, oh, dear, this is all going a bit wrong again. But actually, he's turned it around really well. And in fact, I didn't even realise that. They've actually made a better start to this season than the last one under Philip Cocco. I know it wasn't great, but... He had slightly better circumstances than Rooney, so got to give him a bit of credit. What did you make of the penalty decisions, Ross? The the one for the Joe Worrell handball looked a bit more likely than than the one late on for McKenna on Curtis Davis. Yeah, I think so. The the, the Curtis Davis one was, I suppose, the the grey area on that was when the whistle went. I think I think there was no doubt in anyone's mind that he's taken his shirt off of his back. But like I say, it was dependent on. Um, how early into that moment the referee had blown his whistle, but I think if it was if it was um, slightly before, then then they've definitely been entitled to uh, to two penalties, in my opinion. Uh, here's the Athletic senior football writer Daniel Taylor, who tweeted. He's a Forest fan, by the way. He tweeted, "Interesting to see what happens at NFFC in the international break. Chris Hutton's position still very much under scrutiny, as you'd expect given his results." lot of thinking to come behind the scenes, not just about Hewton and transfers, but who else might be out there. Sam, is this 
Is this a good result for Forrest or a bad result? Because you feel like if they'd lost the game, then Hewton would definitely have lost his job. But are they just going to keep on plodding along with the same kind of lackadaisical football and below average results? Well, it's a good result. It has to be after the, the first 45 minutes. I suppose that the biggest difference was Chris Hewton making attacking changes and getting grabbing on there sacrificing Yates who I know um, really splits opinion amongst the, the Forest supporters so to go for a uh, a midfield with more attacking impetus for 20-25 minutes or whatever it was I think was the, the difference maker and they get themselves a point having Yates and um, sorry having Graben and, and Lyle Taylor on the, on the pitch which doesn't happen too often so it's food for thought will he have the guts to go with something similar in the, in the weeks ahead we'll have to wait and see he's still as you say, Matt, two wins, I think, in the last 19 games. Still need to get some new blood in, stick with him, see how it goes over the next five or six games. You, you have to, I think, on the back of what what after the first half could have been worse. Really good point. Matt, what do you think? I mean, do, are you having Chris Hewton? Not at the moment, no, I've got to be honest. Um, I think that it always comes with the caveat of Forrest is an absolute basket case of a club. We mentioned on Thursday they've signed 70 players, 70 plus players since 2017, which is nonsense. But the style of football is not good and the results are even worse. I mean, it depends on who else is out there, I suppose. If you're going to say Chris Wilder will come in next week, then great, we'll definitely take that. But if there's nobody lined up, then there doesn't seem to be much point in carrying on with the way it is. I don't hey Matt, I, I, t- I tell you, he's he's gone from one of the most mediocre dressed managers in the division to the best overnight. He's unbelievable turnout turn at the moment. Would Looks you agree incredible with that? as well, doesn't he? Oh, it? lovely shirt he had on, lovely overshirt as well. He's, he's, he's really <laughs> upped his game in that regard. All right, that's handy. So we get some style points. What, what would you do, Ross? It's interesting, isn't it? Because two obviously contrasting managers here in, in Wayne Rooney, who's a pup in that regard, and Hewton, who's been there... Seen it, done it, but but maybe yesterday's man, if that's not too harsh. Yeah, yeah. So I can see where you're coming from. I think I've been really impressed with the way Wayne Rooney holds himself and and presents himself in terms of the circumstances that he's gone into that that job in. So I've been really impressed with the way that he's he's come into into management and and obviously the the, the different type of pressure that he's getting in 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 there as derby manager. Uh, what I find with 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 Chris Hewton's scenario is I think you probably know what, what you were gonna get when you when you got him and, and it's his teams have never played uh open, expansive, attacking football. He's always been quite a reserved manager, four four one one and and you know sort of see see through games and, and, and try to score from set pieces and things like that. So I think you sort of once you get a manager like that, you it's very, very difficult then to see him evolve, if that makes sense. Because I agree with Sam, like the changes he made in the, in the second half, and and obviously the chance that Graben had late on was a really good save from from Roos at the back end of the game. But I'm just not sure if it's him, and then it becomes very, very difficult because, as you say, uh, he's a guy you know very experienced. Is he going to change, and is he going to evolve that much after you know what's what's brought him success for his for his managerial career? You know. Well, time will tell on that. Going to be uh, an interesting couple of weeks over the break, I think. Uh, now then, who was that calling time on Carlos Corberon spell as Huddersfield manager a few weeks ago? Oh, it was us. Uh, three games later, a hat-trick of wins for the Terriers. The latest, a 4-0 thumping of sorry Reading. Uh, Sam, it's their best run in four years, Huddersfield. Maybe we were wrong. 
Yeah, quite quite possibly. I think fortunate in the victory at Sheffield United, but no uh, good fortune required here. Far and away the better side. Obviously mitigating circumstances maybe for Reading at, at the moment who will come on to. But yeah, I, I mean, again, I wasn't enamoured with some of the signings, but the, the back three looks really good. Tom Lees and, and Pearson in particular, I didn't see them fitting in maybe to Corbrand's style, but they, they look brilliant. And, you know, just simplifying it, looking at the, the team now, um, good experience there at the back, good experience in midfield in Hogg and O'Brien, who's been linked with a move to Leeds, and then just relentless legs, running power, youthfulness in the wide positions, wing backs, and um, in the wingers. So I think that's what he's gone for. He's gone for that kind of electricity in the wide positions. And obviously, there were some huge standouts at the weekend. Karoma, who Ross will know really well, and uh, Sorba Thomas, who's come from absolutely nowhere really good pace really good delivery that was a complete performance from him so yeah Reading aren't great but that was a a very good performance in every department on Sorba Thomas Ross is this something we're going to see a bit more do you think of of championship sides recruiting from non-league I know I know it's common a bit further down you go but it's one thing it's illegal now isn't it to sign 16 to 18 year olds um, from European countries because of Brexit. So that's an avenue that's closed to championship clubs. So we might see more scouts turning up at National League games than than previously. Yeah, and I think even further down as well. I, I, when you look at those two examples that, that Sam's pulled out there, Sorba Thomas and Josh Karoma, both really exciting players and, and obviously made their mark initially in the, in the National League. And you think what a massive jump that is. Um, I think in, in Josh's case, obviously, he came through at, at Orient and was involved in the team before it got relegated out of the league, but really made made his like I say really made his mark at that level. I think what happened now for a number of different reasons because of obviously the pandemic and the situation clubs have found themselves in financially they probably won't carry as bigger numbers in terms of you know under twenty threes and young players coming through. So I think you will go get back to those days of a few mistakes and releasing players that, that come back to bite you. And I think you're really going to then find the Sorba Thomases who want to go and play football and, you know, earn themselves a career, earn some credibility and get themselves a move. And then they need the platform. And, and as Sam, Sam touched upon there, they've got a manager there who looks like they're really encouraging the energy and the pace that, that the pair of them have got. And it gives them that real opportunity to go and prove what they're about. At, you know, obviously a very, very good level. And I, and I, at the moment, it, you, you can't see them stopping where they are, the pair of them. Uh, Reading-wise, Robin, I was desperately trying to find some kind of crumb of comfort or some positivity to talk about. I mean, they've, they've brought a couple of players in, Baba Ram and the, the perennial Chelsea Loney. Apparently, Danny Drinkwater might be following him as well. I guess the fact that they are bringing new faces on board, it's a good thing that they've got a couple of weeks on the training ground now to try and integrate them. But yeah, five defeats in six games from where they were last season. It's quite a drop-off. Yeah, I mean, the embargo has completely hamstrung them. So it's only loans and free transfers. They had one shot on target in this game when, you know, when you're losing 4-0, that's obviously not going not gonna to get you back into it at all. I feel I feel for the manager, you know, he's, he's been dealt a, a pretty rough hand. They had a, a disrupted pre-season as well. I think there was COVID outbreak. But you just look at the team. John Swift is, you know, he's a great player. But then I just looked at the front, Men and you've got Puskas who really blows hot and cold. 
got Junior Hoylet, who's decent at that level, but he's never really been prolific. And their best sort of attacking options, Mate and Lucas Zhao, were injured. So he, he's really up against it there. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look great. I don't think sacking him would be the answer, to be honest. I know some Reading fans feel that 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 should be the way to go. But as you say, there's just there's no there's no real way to get around this apart from hard work and perhaps some some more signings. And I'm not saying that um down plays the result for Huddersfield either, because I'm really impressed with how they've responded. So it was their five one defeat to Fulham and they've won all three since. So he's really turned it around. Yeah, and just goes to show that you should stick with the manager, I guess, even if certain podcasts are, are calling for, for them to be replaced. Um, on Paunovic, just before we move on from this game, Ross, from a manager's perspective, it's going to be difficult for him, isn't it? Because those those reasons that, that Robin stated, the COVID outbreak, the transfer embargo, they're legitimate reasons for him not to be having the success that he was last season. But there comes a point where supporters and I guess people in in the director's box don't want to hear that. So you can't keep you offering it as an excuse, even if it is valid. Yeah, and I think the, the obvious answer that people want to see almost at times is sack the manager because then someone else will come in and change it all up. And I think probably slightly different circumstances and, and some of the quality in the squads. But I think you compare his situation similar to what Wayne Rooney's had to live through in the in, in the pre-season. And it's sort of, I kept the feel that Derby sort of have almost embraced that challenge a little bit and the circumstances that they've found him in. Whereas I can't help but feel that Reading have got their tails between their legs a little bit and maybe feel sorry for themselves is the wrong word, but it, it obviously then starts to smother you and can take over. And that, that negative approach that, or, or feeling that people have about the club adds more and more pressure to people. So you feel free circumstances. And, and unfortunately, you can't help but feel as though that in, the inevitable will come around at some stage and people will think that the answer will be to remove the manager when perhaps the circumstances are, are set, have set him up to fail already, really. I think the manager needs to be afforded a bit more time because of the, the circumstances that the guys have explained. Um, you can't get away from Jao, Ajaria and Mate. I think are probably, and with Swift, that Robin uh, chucked in there, that four is probably as good as anything in the championship. So to have all of them missing, uh, apart from Swift at the moment, is huge. The other side of it, worst defensive record in the 92 right now. And that was the... The same personnel really as last year, give or take more and Morrison having a difficult time at the moment. So yes, they're missing a lot of goals, but they need to improve in that regard. And, and obviously one or two signings will do that. Yeah, Tuesday the transfer window closes, so we'll uh, give you a roundup of that on Thursday. Last stop in the championship for us is Deepdale. You make it up for the fact that that's one of the best names for a ground in the entirety of football? Probably not. Anyway, at Deepdale, uh, it's incumbents Preston uh, having a happy home life just now. They made it back-to-back home wins uh, after seeing off Swansea. Three wins on the spinning all competitions for them now. Uh, Sam, what have they changed from the start of the season? Because they were hammered by Hull on opening day and we were we were fearing the worst. Um, I think players returning to form. Uh, ben Whiteman, one player particularly in that, I think he's been a little bit Malayan since he he arrived. We loved him at, at Doncaster, obviously, on this podcast. He got a goal at the weekend. Him and Ledson were very good. 
I think sometimes if we look at the game at the weekend in isolation, um, the way they set about Swansea was first class with the energy, the, the tempo set from the front two, Reese and, and Maguire uh, were a nuisance, a nuisance factor that Swansea couldn't really cope with. And they're a work in progress. And I think Preston caught them at a good time, in, in all honesty. Johnson good as well as a, as a number 10. There was a lot to like about the Preston performance. It looked like a real team performance so it's um, something they're going to have to continue with and it's given the manager good food for thought because they had Brown missing who's been a staple of that side for a number of years Barkhausen as well so he's got a big decision as to whether he integrates them back in or he looks at that performance which was nearly as good as you get in a championship and and sticks with those players who does the, did the business. Uh, more stick, Robin, for Bender, the Swansea goalie, who's, who's taken a fair bit f- from uh, Adrian Clark, in particular on this podcast. Lucky not to get sent off for the for the foul that led to the third goal. But we talk about players that Swansea are missing. Mark Gurry and Freddie Woodman are two that really stand out. And you could see that in the defending in this game. Yeah, um, I really hate criticising goalkeepers because it's just something I'd never... I, I avoid it whenever I'm playing, just like, no, don't want to go. Goal. Might be something to do being five for one, but also just <laughs> I just think I just don't want to do it. So I really hate doing it, but he just doesn't seem up to it in terms of what Russell Martin wants from him. You know, just looking back to opening day, playing it out from the back, he doesn't seem very confident. Just his whole demeanour, he looks very sort of... He's a bit of a flapper, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be something that they're going to have to look at. But it's just again, Russell Martin. He's been dealt a bit of a difficult hand. I understand why he wants to take the job. You know, it's it's a big job. But as you say, the likes of Gay and Woodman, just all the lone players that aren't there anymore, the replacements just aren't at their level. And it looks like I think I read today that Fulham have put in a bid for Matt Grimes, which has been rejected. So it just looks like they might be picked off even more. I don't know what the owners, how, what sort of appetite the owners have for, you know, keeping these big names if they can get some money in. It's kind of slightly worrying times for Swansea, I'd say. Yeah, that's been a big criticism of the owners, hasn't it? Over the last couple of years, they won't put their hand in their pocket. Um, Ross, I'm hoping you can fill us in a bit on the, on the Swansea style. You're with Luke Williams at, at Swindon. He's, he's Russell Martin's number two. How wedded are they to this heavy possession style and, and are they going to be able to implement it with the players that they've got, do you think? I, th- I think it's very interesting because the two marry up quite well, in my opinion, in terms of what Russell has embraced as a manager. I know when he first went into it, he wanted to go about playing in a certain style of football, which is obviously where the two come together and, and, and Luke ended up with him at MK Dons. and But the, the, it marries up quite well because Swansea's... Uh, tradition certainly in recent times has always been about trying to make sure they you know they manage the ball. So it's very interesting when look at some of the players that they've got there at the moment. The goalkeeper that you've already mentioned and how nervy and edgy he's looked with it all. Um, it's quite strange because you would think from a recruitment perspective, whoever the manager was, a goalkeeper like that would have been one of the things at the forefront of playing for Swansea would have been how he manages the ball. I think that what they've really found tough so far is when they went in. They've obviously we know that when it when it all happened and you know the unrest that it caused from from um, MK Don's perspective. But I think when you're going in and you're playing such a uh, trying to be so dominant with the ball, 
you need time to work. And I don't believe Swansea have had that. And I think listening to, to Russell's comments after the game at the weekend, he said that they felt that they looked as if they'd sort of hit a wall a little bit. They looked really like they'd run out of energy. They hadn't had any time to haven't had any time to work with the player. So all of those things there, I think in time they would definitely improve because I know what Luke's qualities are and, and and the way that they'll want want to develop. But they just haven't had the time to do it. So even the little tweaks in in what they'd be asking for the goal from the goalkeeper, they've had very little time on the on the training pitch to do it. But at the same time, I think what was mentioned before in terms of the players that they've lost, it is a concern because. I think they look like they're low and light on numbers and then certainly on, on quality in certain areas of the pitch. So it's going to be very, very difficult to, for them to to make an impression with with players that are of a lesser standard than, than perhaps they had last year. Ross, I heard Russell Martin um, question the fitness levels of the players, which you know, can often get chucked up by, by a new manager um, when they come into the club. And But um, considering the... The style of play, I, I would have thought as a player, if you're dominating the football, you not that it's going to be easier in terms of on the legs and the fitness levels. But could you explain why that style of play is so taxing? Because he was he was kind of say for his philosophy, the players have to be in tip top shape. Yeah, and I, I think what 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 he may potentially be referring to, Sam, is the intensity without the ball at times. So as much yeah. as they have it, I think they, they, they dominated the ball certainly again at the weekend. And I think it'd have to be the odd game here or there where they won't. But I think it's the intensity that they're working at without the ball. Uh, like you said, he's a very easy phrase for a manager, new manager to go in and, and say, because it buys you a little bit of time when you criticise the fitness levels. But what I would probably say take Russell Martin out the scenario at the moment he's really uncertain summer for him wasn't it in terms of the way the whole process of the manager going and then who was coming coming in I remember myself all of a sudden hearing that that Russell was potentially going to be the one getting the job but a few days before it had all been discussed that um his name escapes me now uh, the assistant at QPR. It was all it seemed John Eustace, signed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Eustace. It all seemed signed, sealed, and delivered that he was um, he was going to be doing it. And then all of a sudden, they were looking for a new manager, and Jody Morris was being mentioned. So to have that throughout your preseason, I'm not sure in the in the in this day and age with sports science and you know the amount of staff that a club like Swansea would have that 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 should have impacted. But I'm sure that in Russell's defence on that comment, that he would have been looking towards are they are they prepared in the way that he wants them prepared? And that, like I say, my references to that would probably be how they press, what they're like without the ball. I mean, it's intense anyway, and it the championship. But if you're um, if you're going to dominate an opposition in the way that Swansea set out to, they would um, that would probably be for me where he's where he's where he's making those suggestions. So give managers time is the takeaway message from this championship section, unless you mean talking about <laughs> Chris course. Hume, um, I guess. Uh, let's bring in producer Abby to give us some odds, courtesy of Paddy Power. Uh, Abby, promotion slash title winning picture. Not many of the teams that we've been talking about here are going to feature in that, I'm guessing. No, and I was looking back at our very first show uh, preview of the whole season and it was Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United we were looking at. No surprise that Fulham and West Brom are still there as odds on to be promoted. Fulham 49, West Brom 8-13, Sheffield United uh, only down in sixth at the moment. Um, at the, so we'll see well, how that progresses as the season goes on. They're 11-2, but it's Bournemouth who are now third to be promoted in Paddy's ranking. 5-2, Stoke 10-3 and QPR 4-1, rounding up that top six. Good stuff. More odds later. We'll get to League One next. 
Ah, the summer was fun, wasn't it? No allegiances, everyone getting behind England, three lions being sung everywhere. But now the Premier League is back, get Grealish off the bench, ah, he can stay on it at City. Pickford might have been a safe pair of hands, now he's just a pair. And enough of Jules Rimet dreaming, now it's our turn to dream. So kiss goodbye to that vomit-inducing unity and welcome back proper football. Let's celebrate flair on the grass, not a flare up the <coughs> paddy power. 18plusbegumbleaware.org Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show and you could read pieces from the likes of Ryan Conway, Nancy Frostick, Steve Maidley and many, many more writers. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. At League One headlines, no teams are unbeaten in the division. One of the sides to lose this weekend were Portsmouth after Wigan was spurred on by Keith's sad demise. Uh, Sunderland topped the table after a 3-1 win over Wickham. They're the only team with four wins. Three teams are still yet to register a victory. Doncaster Crew and Ipswich. And Shrewsbury got off the mark with a wonderful overhead kick. And that's where we're going to start our look back. Uh, Steve Cottrell Shrews finally registering their first win. It came against Gillingham by two goals to one. The big brawl at the end, almost the biggest talking point, but we've got to start, Robin, with 17-year-old Tom Bloxham. What a way to get not only his first goal, but Shrewsbury's first goal of the season. Incredible. Unfortunately, I think he's 17 years old. That might be as good as it gets, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, what an unbelievable goal. You know, executed brilliantly. What an incredible moment. I mean, yeah, he might just have to retire now after all that. Uh, <laughs> He's never going to score a better goal than that, surely. This was such a needed win for Shrewsbury, wasn't it, Ross? Because it's been a horrible start for them. Everything that happened with Steve Cottrell over the summer and just some question marks starting to starting to float around them. So much needed three points here. Really uncertain start to the season. In after obviously after everything that happened with Steve before, it's um, it's been a horrible start to the season. And then I think what sometimes happens, but obviously with with blocks from getting a goal like that. Um, like you say, dreamland for him. But sometimes when you're in that rut and you started the season so badly, you're almost in a position of you've got nothing to lose. Let's you know give the kid an opportunity. Obviously, without knowing a great deal about him uh, personally, they've, they've thrown him in and he's he's taken the opportunity. And sometimes that can be just the little trigger you need to um, to turn turn things in your favour. And obviously, he's he's managed to do that. So you hope for for his perspective, it's the beginning of a you know, a wonderful career for him and, and, and he does score a lot more goals like that. But at the same time, it, it's given Shrewsbury a little bit of a platform now and a little bit of a chance to breathe uh, after, after a very poor start. Uh, let's get to why we're really here, though. The brawl at the end of the game, three players sent off deep, deep, deep into stoppage time and then it all kicked off on the touchline too. Sam, I wasn't surprised to see Steve Evans walk away. He's got that all mouth, no trousers reputation but there was some other players more than happy to get stuck in it's one of those things that we're sort of obliged to say you hate to see it when actually we absolutely love to see it oh yeah it's tremendous wasn't it um <laughs> yeah I, I don't know about the the two players I didn't think David Davis did um did too much wrong to be honest there seemed to be a bit of a swipe from the the Gillingham player and then it's difficult to comment because you, you don't know exactly what's happened but you it's generally just a collection of bodies and a lot of pushing and shoving, isn't it? But it looked like Steve Cottrell had walked into the Gillingham te- technical area, maybe because something was said, and then uh, a lot of the Shrewsbury bench followed. So I think that's um, 
That's certainly that's one red for his assistant now, isn't it? Steve Evans' assistant, Rayner, and Steve Evans was booked in every game up to this point. So they are, they're consistent, if anything. It's tremendous going. <laughs> it was glorious seeing Steve Evans. It was so schoolyard, wasn't it? Like whispering, my mate called you a... And then just <laughs> off you go. And also my other observation was, was it is it the, the assistant manager who was kind of wrestled to the floor? When I say wrestled... Yeah. That was the. It was like almost lowered down. It was pretty pathetic, really. He's if gone you're going to go into the technical easy, area, yeah. start windmilling in. You know, come on. <laughs> Ross, it's nice and easy, isn't it? When there's a big brawl like that, you can just kind of sidle up. Yeah, I'm getting involved too without actually having to uh, yeah. get involved in any fisticuffs. You always find a slight pause gets enough bodies in between you to make it look like you've got ruined 10 but actually there's none whatsoever he's a big boy though at Burgoyne isn't it the goalkeeper that got sent off yeah. I think he um, he was a big boy and, and to be honest Rainer's not the smallest um, and what I would, would say having shared a, a technical area next to next to Stephen Port uh, albeit a pre-season friendly last summer they're lively they're lively <laughs> so I'm very I'm, I'm convinced that um, there was potential build up to that one, which has got a reaction from um, from Steve, as Sam said, for him to, to end up instigating in there. I don't know if the rules are still the same, but originally when they first brought in the yellow and red cards for um, for managers, there was a, a reference at one stage that if your assistant got a yellow card or a red card, it counted towards you. And a suspension got built up after a bit like it used to with like with players, like three, four, five cards. So I don't know how that'll leave the whole scenario, obviously, with with the managers at, at the weekend <laughs> after people getting sent off here, there, and everywhere. I, I don't know if that rule still exists, but it certainly did when they first brought the cards in. Look out for the kit man then taking charge uh, at Gillingham's <laughs> next game. Eighth uh, of January, by the way, is the return fixture between those two. Uh, already looking forward to that. Uh, let's move on to, to Morecambe 1, Sheffield Wednesday nil. Stephen Robinson continuing to have a sensational start to, to life in League One with Morecambe. He's the head shrimp. He led his troop to victory over previously unbeaten Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, that's right. I, I did Google earlier the collective term for a group of shrimps and, and it's a troop. You're welcome. Uh, Sam, you're about the only person, I think, not to have Morecambe in your bottom four at the start of the season. Thus far, you've been vindicated. You called this one of the best victories in their history, it's all going rather swimmingly. Yeah, that was a massive shout, wasn't it? And anticipating getting loads of grief from Morecambe supporters, but I haven't. So I reckon I was probably more or less on the money there. Obviously, the game at Wembley in the summer probably pips it, but it's Sheffield Wednesday, isn't it? Um, yeah, they're down in the doldrums at the moment, but who would have envisaged Morecambe being in League One and producing performances like this? And yeah, I didn't tip them because Robbo's obviously a former teammate of mine, former captain, so... Got to back him and um, he either got really lucky, I'd like Ross to answer this, or if it's a stroke of genius at the weekend, because I think they were set up in a 4-4-2. They're getting bashed around for an hour. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday have had the the majority of the chances and he's gone 5-3-2, taken a forward off, put a defender on. Three minutes later, they scored a winner. Uh, and they, end, they actually saw it out quite comfortably the last half hour. But I suppose he was probably doing that thinking, do you know what? We'll take a point. Yeah. Masterstroke it was, Sam. <laughs> well, you take you take the you point and you set up defensively. And you, I suppose yeah. you hope that you've got a few runners in the team who can get you up the pitch. Yeah. And I, what I would say, obviously different manager, different circumstances last year. But that was a real big thing for Morecambe last year. Is they operated a lot without the ball. They accepted 
that they were going to play on the counter-attack and were very good at it, very aggressive, very direct when they did get the ball back. So it sets you up quite well, obviously being Morecambe at the level that they're in, playing against Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend. It, they've almost sort of been set up so well by Derek Adams that it's almost become part of their DNA, you know, mm. now that, that, that they're happy to be without the ball and be difficult to break down. So I'm sure that would have been his intentions and, and hoping that they could nick something or, you know, set piece, et cetera, et cetera, uh, on the counter-attack. But I do think that he, he deserves a hell of a lot of credit because sometimes you can go in and start, start to try to put your stamp on things too much, where he's obviously gone in there and, considered what they were about last year, tweaked a few little things in order to be able to compete at the level. And so far, he's, so far it's, it's worked out well for him. Yeah, and there's an obvious comparison there, I guess, with, with Russell Martin and, and trying to change everything at Swansea. As for Chef Wed, Robin, they just write this off, don't they? 13 shots, no goals, this kind of thing happens. Yeah, no, I think it's probably just a bump in the road. Darren Moore looks like he's he knows what he's doing. Um, it's going to happen over a season, isn't it? And Morecambe, just so impressed. They still have that feel-good factor, even though they lost their manager. I'm just just really impressed with what Stephen Robinson's doing. And I think Sam's right, though. That is... No one would have expected them to get anything against Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, the the respective budgets and resources of those clubs are incomparable. It's just incredible. Yeah, record crowd saw it too. Uh, whilst you're there, Robin, this is your time to shine. Oxford 3, Lincoln 1. Um, it's always nice to get you on when Oxford are actually winning, and that certainly is the case at the minute, particularly at home. Seven on the spin at the Kassam Stadium, and they've done what they didn't manage to do last season and start strongly. That's right, yeah. Um, it might mean terrible run somewhere else in the season, but it's really nice to start well, um, something we haven't done since Carl Robinson came in, basically. Um, yeah, it's been a really settled summer, got business done early. James Henry got a hat-trick few question marks over him last season. He, I don't think he was fully fit. I think last season was the only time he didn't get into double figures in league goal. So generally, he's been a fantastic signing for Oxford United. Um, I think in mitigation for Lincoln, I will say this because Michael Appleton's our former manager, still very much love him very much. Um, I think he could only, only name five subs. I think they've had a bit of bad luck with uh, with COVID and also injuries. So I think it was. I think they are going to get better. He's a tremendous coach so I, I expect them to be up there and Carl Robinson after the game well first of all he didn't talk about the ref which was a big win very unusual for him and he was very excited about a new midfield signing which has been announced today Herbie Kane really looking forward to seeing him but it looks like that might mean Cameron Brannigan might be going elsewhere so we'll just have to see yeah, nice video that Oxford did teasing the signing of Kane intercut with lots of Sky Sports news clips talking about Harry Kane and, and that kind of thing. Um, Sam, you're a big fan of Herbie Kane, aren't you? I remember a couple of years ago, you were you were really hyping him. Is he is he still the same player now, do you think? Um, I think it was Clarkie that was all over him. So much so, much so that I uh, I feigned a signature when I went to a Doncaster game and brought it in for him, if you, you remember. And he, he was buzzing until I told him it was me. Um, yeah, he's a good midfield player. Yeah, uh, up and down, number eight, can get you a goal. Uh, I don't, can't recall where he was last year, but he, he hasn't hit the I had headlines. A look at, so, yeah, he was at Barnsley last year. Yeah, that was I, it. I had, a, I had a little look, so he only had six starts. I don't think mm. Ishmael's style is particularly suited to him so it'll be interesting so imagine he's not played an awful lot of football recently no no yeah I suppose the 
the uh, the key for him will be just recapturing what he was for Doncaster, which was a very complete midfield player, capable of getting getting goals as well. But probably out the same mould as Brannigan, actually. So maybe as, as good as you could you could go and get, you know, with only a few days to do it. Uh, Ross, I'm a bit worried about Lincoln. Uh, this is their their third defeat in a row. Can't just be a playoff hang- hangover, can it? Is is it the fact that they lost so many influential players over the summer? You know, the likes of Brennan Johnson and and George Grant, chiefly, I guess, it was going to be difficult to to piece it back together again. Yeah, like you say, there you you, you don't. I'm sure even Michael Apple will find himself in the same scenario that it gets to a certain point before you can't keep looking back at you at your summer or the back end of last season and disappointments, etc. So I think that, that that will start to get to that stage soon for him. It's very, very difficult, isn't it, to replace some of the players that they've lost. Um, they just, when I'm looking at them at the weekend, they, they just haven't found it. They're just not quite there. They just don't look like the same team. Again, and, and some of the circumstances that we've just mentioned will have, will have, will have forced that and made that happen, but they just don't seem to have found themselves yet. And, as 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 we all know, the, the more and more defeats, the more and more they they suffer, and the more and more the pressure is going to start to come on, and it makes it difficult. So I would hope for him that he gets some of those sicknesses, injuries back, and that 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 today and tomorrow are positive in terms of people that he might be able to bring in to to help them really and replace again, like we say, what, what they lost over the summer. Just shows Robin, doesn't it? You're talking about how much respect he's got around Oxford, but how timing is everything for a manager, you know, because he got them to the playoff final against all odds last season. His stock was at its highest and now it's on the decline again. You've got to make your, pick your moves and and hope that things work out in your favour. And, and yeah, timing is absolutely crucial to that. Oh, it is. It's a really good point. It's something I think about a lot. It's almost like kind of ladder of your stock being high and high. And I honestly think he left Oxford United probably at a good time from his point of view, but he took the Leicester assistant job and I think that was a big mistake. It took him a long time to get back into a top, being the top manager job, too long. I think, um, again, his reputation has been damaged because he went to basket case club after basket case club in his early managerial career and I think people still think, oh, well, he was rubbish and it's just, yeah, it's you're absolutely right. You kind of need to... Yeah, when your stock's high, you need to leave. I don't know if he was close to going to a West Brom or, or something like that, but um, um, I have no doubt. I think, as I say, over the course of a whole season, once he the squad settles down and they get to know each other again, I think he'll, he'll still do a great job. Yeah, we're backing him. Uh, on to Cambridge 1, Bolton nil. Shiloh Tracy smashing in the only goal of the game. Defender Jack Iredale summed it up nicely on Twitter. He said, all caps, yes, exclamation mark. Massive shift from all the lads today and what a result to come away with, exclamation mark. Huge win. Sweet boy at Shiloh T underscore delivering the goods. Sweet emoji, sunglasses emoji. Enjoy your weekend, use fans, dancing emoji at Cambridge United FC. Uh, Ross, if you can analyse this game any better than that, I, I'll be impressed. Um, can you tell us, were, were they kind of lucky as they were against Burton the other week? I, I'm noting that Bolton had 74% possession, or was this all part of the plan for Mark Bonner? Well, what I would say with with that is part of the plan would have been Mark understanding that Bolton were going to have most of the ball. Um, what I really liked about Cambridge last year was they set up according to the opposition. So, 
there was times where you would look and, and, and think, actually, what are Cambridge about? What is their strength? Obviously, they had goals and, and, and the front two worked really well together last year. But you couldn't always put your finger on what it was that Cambridge set out to do in the game. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Mark sends his teams out to adapt to what the opposition are going to be like and look like. So I think certainly he would have gone, even even though they were at home, he would have gone into the game knowing that he was coming up against a good team that liked to dominate the ball and that they were going to be without it for, for long spells. And the longer the game went on, there was times that they were almost playing with a back six. So interesting that Shiloh gets on the end of the of the ball into the box to score the winner because there was times where he was at fullback. And the same for James Brophy. They were they were they were spread across the the edge of the box trying to to hang on for dear life. And, but I think what it did when you when you listen to the to the information in the tweet, the togetherness that sometimes a result can like that can bring, very similar as it was for for Malcolm, could be in, could could be immense. They've they've stuck in there. They've made fouls. They've disrupted the game. I'm sure Ian Evitt would have been pulling his hair out at times in terms of the way that they've gone about it. But that's going to have to be the way for, for Cambridge on a lot of occasions this year, more so when they're away from home. But yeah, the answer to your question would be that I think he, he would have sent the team out knowing that they were going to be be without it and, and, and they've come out of it with a point, whether there must have been you know huge amount of fortune at times when the opposition have had 70% possession of the ball. Some really interesting managers in League One, Sam, aren't they? The division itself is, is fascinating this season, but it seems to be a good breeding ground for, for talented coaches at the moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ian Everts had an unbelievable start to, to life as a, as a manager with two promotions. Mark Bonner's achievement last year, getting Cambridge up. You know, it's in the same bracket of what Morecambe achieved, obviously, via, via the playoffs where they're concerned. And... You know, we love talking about tactics and how the game's evolved and all that, but it's great seeing expansive football with the ball. But, you know, the way that Cambridge and Morecambe are achieving these results, it is hard work on the training ground, being organised, etc. But it's a different way and still uh, a way of achieving three points. And they are just very, very difficult to play against. And of course, you've taken away Paul Mullins goals. We shouldn't speak about that too often because he's he's no longer there but it's a fact and they've not gone and replaced him with someone who who's prolific so that's a testament to to the job he's doing again Ironside's leading the line brilliant all-round foil he was for Mullen but he's not going to get you bundles of goals so they'll know they've got to allow Bolton to have it and they've got to strike when they get the opportunity and they've got to stay concentrated for for 90 minutes so those two results, huge, you know, to to, to beat Burton three 0 without conceding, and and obviously this result over Bolton, just shows you that that Mark Bonner has, has started life brilliantly. First defeat for Bolton of the season in the league, Robin, but they've got to be relatively content, haven't they? Eight points at this stage, maybe not as free scoring as we kind of expected them to be, certainly after those those early three threes. But the problem that Ian Evans got is the weight of expectation just because of the name of that football club. The supporters aren't going to be wanting to hang around in the bottom half of League One for this season. That's right, yeah. It, he's always going to have that. I think um, he handled it questionably um, sometimes last season, you know, the comments about the goalkeeper and things like that. But actually, he turned it around. Really impressive manager, the way he's got them playing. Yeah, what I, what I would say is I just know the game against Oxford United, they were slightly fortunate, I think, in, in that case to to get the win. Just really clinical when they got their chances, which is something that doesn't happen all the time. But I think 
as you say, the expectations will be high, but I don't think, you know, finishing mid-table in your first season back in League One would be a complete disaster for Ian Everett. I think that that's perfectly acceptable to a normal person looking on. <laughs> uh, Abby, come in, please. You've written big shift at the bottom on the Google Doc here, but no need to, to reach for the Imodium. It's about the uh, the League One relegation <laughs> battle, I assume. It is indeed. Again, I've been looking back at our preview shows. Who was who are the favourites to be relegated? And back at the start of the season, it was Morecambe, Cambridge and Cheltenham. And now I go to Paddy Power and it looks like this. It's Doncaster Evans. It's still Cambridge at 6-5 to five, and it's Crewe at 6-4. to four. And I remember the fourth team being uh, Wimbledon as well. They are now way, way down at 5-1. to one. So looks clear for them. It's uh, Shrewsbury at 6-4 to four who complete that, uh, that relegation look at the moment good stuff one more league to go we'll be in league two in a jiffy this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more this is the Totally Football League show from The Athletic. Keep up to date with everything Totally by following us at The Totally Show on Twitter. League Two headlines, FGR's perfect record has gone. Salford got their first win, seeing off, sorry, Newport. Harrogate, the only team in League Two not to lose so far. They have played one match fewer than the rest, though. And Sutton United, the only side yet to win. They did lead up until the 88th minute against Oldham, but ended up being beaten 2-1. We're going to start at the new lawn where Port Vale had victory against previously perfect Forest Green Rovers wrapped up inside the opening 10 minutes. Uh, Robin, we've not really talked about Port Vale much this season. This is a very impressive win though. And yeah, what a way to do it. 10 minutes gone, job done. Yeah, um, I think they've quietly started to get a little little bit better. Even though it was their first win of the season, they're unbeaten in four. So I think they're just starting to build under Daryl Clark a little bit more. And yeah, I mean, there's no better way to get your first win against the league leaders, against Forest Green, who've started absolutely magnificently. And I think, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, for a, I mean, for, for us commentators, when a team goes 2-0 up inside 10 minutes and then that's it. It's not the greatest game <laughs> to, to call after that. Forest Green, I think, had one shot on target. So just uh, possibly just a bad day at the office. But that's going to be the interesting thing. Is it just a bad day at the office or was it just a really good start under a manager who we still don't really know an awful lot about? Uh, Sam, you said Vale's performance was 9 out of 10. Tell us a bit more about that and tell us what they lost the one mark for. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'd uh, I just throw you out there. I think I was fatigued by that point, um, <laughs> Matt. Um, Cramp. What? Yeah. Cramp of the the tongue. I think um, I think a bit, the big one of the biggest tests in the division right now is keeping Jamil Matt and Stevens quiet. And I thought Port Vale did did that superbly. Always been a big admirer of Nathan Smith. Maybe didn't hit the heights last season, but I think he was very important, especially up against Jamil Matt. Middle of the pitch, Garrity's driving run for the second goal. I think it was. I think that emphasised what he brought. Um, Tom Pett alongside him most tackles in the division I think at the weekend I think one behind I think Jay Spearing had 20 if memory serves me right he made 19 challenges so they won that battle and they probably I know it's very early days but probably caught 
Forest Green on a good day, considering they were missing Cadden, who got hat trick last weekend, and Ebu Adams, who who supplies them with um, offensive quality as well. So, I think a, not a bad day to face them, considering they had a few um, obvious omissions um, defensively. Problems at Forest Green, I would say, and food for thought for the new manager because they conceded five, obviously, in the last two home games now. And um, I noticed they're kind of playing three lads who have played a lot of football elsewhere in their back line currently. So Port Vale took full advantage of that. Front two, excellent. Wilson and, and Proctor. So to answer your question, Matt, I've no idea where they dropped the mark. Uh, maybe for not building on the 2-0. Should have got three or four. Scoring too early. Uh, Rob Edwards said after this game that, that FGR lacked rhythm, quality and energy. He said it with a smile on his face though, Ross. I, I guess as, as a manager, you've got to kind of be careful. If, if your team have had a perfect start up to that point, you don't want to be seen to be digging them out the first time they, they lose a league game. I know they were beaten at, at Brentford in the cup in, in midweek, but yeah, you want to keep the players on side. Anybody can lose a game, I suppose. Yeah, very much so. And it's just about trying to keep that bit of perspective on it. Sometimes, actually, when you've had such a good start, that first defeat can sort of reset it again, try and keep everybody's feet on the ground and try to normalise you know, what your focuses will be. Because I'm sure Forest Green's targets will be to, again, to try to get out of the division this year. So, yeah, just just important, I suppose, as the manager that you um, that you put the perspective back into it and uh, it can be a good reminder to kickstart them, kickstart them again. So, not a great week for them in terms of the couple of results that they've had, but it's a good it's a good squad. It's, you know, there's some good, there's some really good players in there. Some of the ones that that uh, Sam mentioned there, I think Cadden's always going to be a huge loss. Ebu's probably got the most amount of legs, I think, in terms of getting around the pitch in in, in the league. I would say so. Two top players to to not have around. So they um yeah, I think for Daryl it's important that they've got that. That win now and, and gives them something to to build on and, and obviously really important for Proctor to get to get his his first couple of goals as well now and can give him a chance to really kick on and and move a team forward that that, that I'm sure will continue to start winning more games as they um you know now, now that they've got that monkey off their back a little bit in the after the last few uh, final game for us Lake Orient to Bradford nil another surprising result this one. Given Bradford plenty of plenty of praise this season, but Robin, they were just missing a little bit of something here, and and maybe it meant a little bit more to Orient after the uh, the performance they turned in against Harrogate in the week. Yeah, I I they just a little bit flat, weren't they, Bradford? Um, again, I'm sure that Derek Adams will address it and will <laughs> make sure that they turn it around. He's quite. A, Quite an intimidating individual, isn't he? Um, yeah, so I'm sure that they'll bounce back from that. Just didn't get to their previous levels. Um, just on Leighton Orient, absolutely love the first goal. I think that was the one, is it rules Sotiriu? Just from an angle, when you're that tight an angle, all you can do is absolutely hit it as hard as you can. And it went, I just absolutely love those goals. So yeah, really enjoyed watching that. <laughs> Uh, tell us a bit about Orient then, Ross. Obviously, it's your your specialist subject. JB McEnough told us that, that promotion very much the aim. Uh, is the squad deep enough to, to get that done, do you think? That would be my only question mark. I think they've recruited really well over the summer. Really like Archibald. I think that's a really, really good signing in terms of his energy and the quality that and, and the pace that he's got. Omar Beckles, I think, is a very good centre-half for the level. So I think they've recruited well, but that would be my one question mark for him. I noticed he brought Craig Clay back into the team at the weekend, who'd missed the, who'd been on the bench in the last couple. Um, but when you start to look behind 
him and maybe one or two others. There's a lot of uh, p- real potential, real exciting young players that, they, that they've got on their bench, but it could be a big test for those boys if they have to rely on them too much throughout the season. But I think it's a, a squad certainly of being in and around the playoffs. And I know it's obviously a big ambition and a big drive for, for the owners to get out, the, get out of the league this year. So I think they've got every chance of doing it. I think it was a great way for them to bounce back at the weekend, looking into previous performance I think it was obviously very very poor result against Harrogate but I think the performance wasn't at the levels that they would have wanted or, or expected so it was really important that that they bounced back with obviously which turned out to be a very very good result against a good Bradford team and what about uh, this young centre-half who, who started for, for just the second time? I'm hoping you're going to be able to tell me how to pronounce his name Shadrach Ogi is that right is that yeah. is that somebody who you worked with before yeah, yeah, we 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 signed we signed Shadrach from a football college program based in Hornchurch. A young Irish boy, um, very physically powerful, very very strong. I would say at the moment, I know he's played at left side centre half and at left back. I think left back's probably the best position for him because he's probably not quite ready up against some of the real good centre forwards at, at League Two level. So it's going to take him a little bit time to to develop into his position, but but very physically strong and powerful and quick. Uh, got a very, very long throw. To be honest, we put him out on loan at Aldershot last year and he had quite a difficult year, but a, a difficult year that I'm sure he would have developed from immensely because he was in and out of the team. Uh, it didn't all go in his favour, but he's had a year of you know learning on the job and learning from men's football. So if he can keep his head right and keep focused and, and make sure he's he's professional in the way that he lives his life, then he's got all the raw materials to uh, to have a very good career. As has Ruel Sotirio, who got obviously a goal at the weekend and absolutely splattered on the edge of the box for the for the second one as well. So uh, he's got incredible energy, Ruel, and desperate to do well. So, um, yeah, some good players, as, as always been the case with, with Orient, coming through through the academy and into the team. So hopefully that, that smaller squad, that, you know, lesser squad in terms of numbers might give a number of those an, an opportunity and some exposure this year. Sam, I'm just looking at the top of the League Two table and, and trying to make sense of it. Forest Green Rovers on 12 points and then down in ninth, just five points behind them. A Stevenage, there's not been a standout team so far. You've got the likes of Newport and Salford way down on where they would expect to be uh, at this time. Is there anybody you can see kind of breaking clear of that pack? Probably would have said Bradford before the weekend, but um, it's not a, not a huge surprise because I saw Leighton Orient in the in the cup, and they've got a lot of good players. I agree with Ross; they may be a little bit short to to threaten the automatic positions, of course, but they'll have aspirations of sneaking in those playoffs. I'm sure with with Kenny Jacket there and the, and the quality they've been able to put together. But no, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be it's not gonna. I would say League One's got so many good sides this season. There's going to be loads of them jostling up there. I don't see, you know, obviously the same quality in League Two and I don't see two or three sides, you know, having the um, the, the strength and the, and the quality to run away with it. So I think it's going to be equally as tight. We could get a few surprises. I mean, who would have thought Swindon would be fourth at this stage after the, the pre-season that they, they've had? Who would have thought Hartlepool would be? be up there with three wins out of four so it's difficult to to put your money on anyone at the moment if I was pushed I'd probably say who I went for pre-season Mansfield Bradford to come good and uh, and maybe Forest Green after the way they've started Abby the bookies rarely get it wrong what are they saying in the League 2 promotion picture 
It is those three, Bradford, the favourites to be promoted, 6-4, to four, Forest Green, 15-8, to eight, and Mansfield also, 15-8, to eight, with Salford City, 23-10 to 10 in fourth. Excellent. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. For more information, head to paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, we're nearly done for the day, but obviously Keeper Duck is the start of the weekend. If you don't know the full background to this story, quite clearly the Athletic have done a long read on it, so so go over there and uh, and check that out. It does beg the question, though, who's your favourite Keith? Could be from the world of football, could be from anywhere. Sam, I imagine that, that you've got plenty of contenders in, in this category. Uh, no, I... <laughs> Struggling a little bit. I'm I'm going for Keith. I'm going for Keith from the office. Clearly, big Keith. Big Keith. Yeah, he's the he's the best one, isn't he? Surely, yeah, he used to live near him in Peckham, actually. You and Macintosh mm. uh, to his to his friends. But yeah, big Keith. If you want a football one, I go Keith Houchin purely for 1987 diving header for Coventry. FA Cup final, wasn't it? Didn't he? Um, Robin, who's who's your favourite Keith and why? Well, apart from the duck, obviously the now deceased duck. He's he's he was right up there. Yeah, I struggled as well. Um, could I have sneak in Kiefer Sutherland? No, because that's not his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Keith is not a name of anyone who I've really had a lot of um, interaction with, if I'm honest. That's the what about Keith FC of the Highland League in Scotland? I mean, the actual football club is oh. called Keith. That's quite impressive. Lovely. Thing rule this week on the end question is fair to say. Uh, Ross, a favourite Keith? I'll be amazed if you got one. I have. I have. I'm gutted I never come up with the uh, the office one. I've got to be honest. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Shout from Sam. My motto, I was on a call, I was on a on a few webinars in the summer with Keith Millen, who was um assistant manager at, at Palace, really good guy. I'll throw that out there as your football one. And I'd go Keith Sweat. The singer. Get okay. yourself on your Alexa. Nobody. He's, 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 he's a good song. <laughs> There's your non-football one. Excellent. Chegwin for you, Matt. Chegwin's a contender. I thought Robin would go for Keith Curl as a commentator, to be honest, um, because the, there's just a great clip. I, I remember on my Goals Galore 89-90 video that got worn out. Richard Keyes doing commentary, believe it or not. Keith Curl with a free kick that bent in. It's Keith Curl living up to his name. That's the kind of nominative <laughs> determinism that uh, we commentators are always always so Classic. keen on. Anyway, rest in peace, Keith. I mean, you know, nice with nice with hoisin sauce and a, a wrap and some, some cucumbers, <laughs> I'm sure. That's how he'd want to be remembered slash consumed. Uh, let's end this immediately. Uh, that's all for today. Many thanks to Robin, to Ross and to Sam for joining us and to Abby for putting it all together. She'll be back with me, Adrian Clark, and Michelle on Thursday when we'll round up all that transfer news and more. Do join us then if you can. Until then, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.